What's happening, True North? I'm glad to be with you this morning. I was thankful when Pastor Rod asked me if I would come and preach. Just love an opportunity to come and to be with you again. So I'm thankful for Pastor Rod. I'm thankful for his friendship. And I am convinced that you all are blessed to have him as your pastor. And so we miss him here this weekend. And it's my privilege to be with you. So grab your Bibles. I want to get into those here in just a second. While you're doing that, I want to let you know that in a couple weeks, I'm going to be hopping on an airplane and flying across uh, our country here. And I am aware that there are several, several different ways that I am going to be tempted to complain, even just in the process of getting on the airplane. Okay, driving to LAX, navigating the traffic between here and the airport. That's only 50 miles away. Okay, when you get there, Getting through security, waiting in the lines, taking your shoes off, going, jumping through all the hoops, and, and while you're waiting in the security lines, realizing how much you've paid to go on this airplane, it's kind of expensive to fly, and then, of course, the major crucial temptation when you sit down and you are surprised yet again at how small the space is in which you're supposed to sit, um, and um, your, your leg room and your arm room, and flying just breeds opportunities to complain. And uh, one time I flew, my, I may have told this story and, and some of the seniors in this room might remember this, but to date, my most miserable flying experience, I want to share it with you here. Um, I was sitting behind a guy who evidently had terrible breath. And <laughs> how do I know he has terrible breath if I'm sitting behind him, Pastor Mark, you might ask? Well, let me tell you, my friends. I, though I was sitting behind him, I think he fell asleep and, and his shoulder was kind of on the, um, the wall and the windows right here. And I think he fell asleep with his mouth open. And I'm sitting behind him. And every time he exhaled, I got hit with like this smell. And it was like, hit me like a ton of bricks every time. And... I expected this surely can only last a couple minutes, but no, my friends, it lasted the entire flight. And so I tried some different things to get around the smell, but I was just swimming in it. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And I, I thought logically here, it's bad breath. It's probably hot. Heat rises. Maybe if I get real low, I'll get down like below the level of the smell. And that didn't work. Um, what else did I try? I tried just ignoring it for a while. Didn't work. Um, I tried, I don't know. I tried various things. I, I considered shoving Kleenex up my nose and just embracing the look. And I considered even just stopping breathing altogether. And... Um, but I endured and I made it and um, it was a helpful and, and stretching experience for me. And um, the scary thing is, we don't even have to hop on an airplane to be tempted to complain. We don't even have to get out of bed, right? You don't even have to get out of your bed. The very first thing that happens in the morning could be a temptation to complain to get out of bed or to do the things you've got to do that day. So, it's really important to spend some time thinking about what the Bible calls the sin of complaining. Not only is it everywhere, all around us, all the time, we're tempted in all sorts of ways to complain. But it is just, 
such an easy thing to fall into and to overlook, and I don't want that to be the case for you. The good news is the Bible gives us a key, I think. The Bible gives us direction, not only on on why complaining is wrong, I want to spend some time on that, but also how to navigate it and to, to grow and combat this sin of complaining. So sometimes you maybe hear a reference to complaining in a sermon or an application or something like that. Maybe it comes up in small groups at some points and you you talk about it for a couple minutes and then move on. Today, we're going to hone in on a verse that's packed with helpful and challenging material for us and spend the entire time talking about this one really important thing. So grab your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 2 because I want to show you how to live a radically countercultural life by refusing to complain. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Should I just pray? Call it good for the day? I mean, that right there, shot across the bow, coming at you. Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're going to read the rest of this section here, but let's just stop there for right now and look at that shot across the bow. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So put it down for point number one like this. Remove complaining from everything you do. Remove complaining from everything you do. That's what scripture calls us to. Having just read the example of Christ giving himself up, laying his life down for the sake of others, his exaltation, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The very first thing that comes after these major themes in chapter two is do everything without grumbling or disputing. It's like removing gluten from every recipe, okay? You've got recipes. You're still going to continue to eat. You're still going to continue to make food. But if you want to go gluten-free, you want to remove that one ingredient from all of your recipes. So you're still going to eat a muffin. You're still going to eat a loaf of bread. You're still going to eat a bun on a burger, perhaps, a delicious cookie, but there's not going to be the ingredient of gluten in it. Now, I can't get too technical with this stuff. I'm not a nutritionist. I consider myself more of a nutritionee, which is a word that I've created for our purposes here today, one who consumes nutrition, okay? That's where I'm at, but think about it with me. Think about it. You remove, so you're still going to eat, you're still going to make food, and thinking about our our language here, our communication, we're still going to talk. We're still going to use our mouths and say things and think things and express things. But the Bible calls us to go about that without the ingredient of complaining. So it's got to be taken out of all of your communication. That's, that's a hefty thing, and, and it's all-encompassing. It says do all things without this. And so let's spend some time figuring out what this looks like. So first of all, what is grumbling? You see that in your text? Look at your Bible. Look at that word right there. Without grumbling, what does that word even mean? 
Okay, I think that word in, in the, the language being used here means an utterance made in a low tone of voice for a formal definition. Or you could maybe use the word murmuring, muttering something under your breath, right? This sermon is so good. I'm hanging on his every word. I hope he never stops talking. I could listen to this all day, right? You can, you can murmur underneath your breath. That's what the word means, except it seems like it's referring to the times when we do that in a very negative sort of way. Because we, we, can, we can murmur positively, like I just did, like all your th- thinking, or you can murmur in a way that expresses dissatisfaction, expresses frustration, expresses the sentiment that you're not getting what you want or what you feel like or what you feel like even you deserve or you ought to have. So you're verbalizing dissatisfaction or complaint. I think that's what the word grumbling means. But there's another word, disputing. Look at that word. You see it in your Bible? Disputing. This term here, it's less emotional than grumbling, and it's more logical. I think it happens more so in your brain. Grumbling, maybe, is, it's more of a feeling, expressing your feelings, whereas disputing is expressing your thoughts, your negative thoughts. So again, I think you can dispute in a positive sort of way as you can murmur in a positive sort of way. But this word here is speaking of the negative way that we dispute. Verbal reasoning or debate that disagrees and argues. We can do that respectfully. But this is referring to venting. Disrespectful, inappropriate Thoughts and feelings we have, expressing dissatisfaction and and arguing because you don't like the way things are and you disagree with your lot. We see these concepts, grumbling and disputing, fleshed out in the Old Testament. So why don't you turn there with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 15. In the book of Exodus, the Exodus happens. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so, and that, and the Exodus just happened, okay, in terms of, uh, I turned you to, what chapter? 15? Turn you to, so the Exodus just happened, and what, what that is, is Israel was, they exited uh, Egypt and slavery in Egypt, and they have been set free for the first time in a long time. They're free people, and they find themselves complaining. And this is a a long series of complaints that happen as they wander in the wilderness. In chapter 15, in verse 24, it says, And the people, here's our word, grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log and threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And, And so the people complain, and God graciously provides. Doesn't have to. But he does. Look over in chapter 16 of Exodus. And the whole congregation after that, the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So first they were thirsty, now they're hungry. So now they're complaining about being hungry. 
And it goes on and on and on. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. A couple books to the right. Numbers, chapter 11, verse 5. You can just hear it, right? They want water. They want food. There's grumbling. There's muttering to each other about the Lord, about Moses. Why did he take us here? What has he done? We'd be better off as slaves in Egypt. Verse 5. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers. I just want a cucumber, a melon, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oh, the manna happened. So God provided miraculous food for people. And they um, picked up bread from the ground that they didn't have to make. That God just provided miraculously for them as they wandered in the wilderness. And then they got tired of the manna. I don't like this flavor of free and miraculous bread that I'm receiving. And so they start complaining. And they want meat. And you know what happens? God again... Again, he provides meat. And so this sort of stuff happens, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13. Um, look at chapter 14. Look at verse 2. All the people of Israel grumbled, that's our word again, against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt? Would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? God provides uh, quail. He provides meat for them. And again and again, um, the people find themselves grumbling. And this is what's shocking to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about it. Look, at, look there with me. 1 Corinthians 10. I'm turning you around a, a couple different places here this morning. My Bible has four ribbons. Look at that. Look at that. I just used all four while we were talking. Isn't that so cool? Hey, stop, stop looking at me. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, look at um, verse 6. And get four ribbons. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 says, These things took place as examples for us, referring to some of the things we read about and others in the Old Testament, so that, we might, we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. So here's a list now of four major sins that we learn from by the examples in the Old Testament. Four major sins. Look at the first one. Idolatry. Pretty hefty sin. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay. Second major sin. Look at verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. That's two major sins. There's a third pretty significant one. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Three big league major offenses to God. And then look at number four. On the same list... With idolatry, sexual immorality, and putting the Lord to the test is, sure enough, our word, grumbling. Don't grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
complaining is not only really common, but what I've tried to prove to you here is that it's also a major offense against the Lord. And so if it's going on in your life unchecked, unnoticed, and you're not, you're not concerned about it, then let this morning serve as a wake-up call, a friendly reminder toward God's word to deal with the sin of complaining in your heart because it is highly offensive to God. Why is it so offensive to God? Think about that with me. Why is it on the same list as idolatry, sexual morality, and putting Christ to the test? What is it about grumbling? It's just complaining. Is it that big of a deal? I think it's a big deal and it's offensive to God because what it shows, the bottom line, is a lack of trust in God. A lack of faith, belief, and confidence in the Lord that he's in control and he's, he's good and knows what he's doing. And that is a, a big problem. The faith is a pretty important word in the Bible. And if complaining expresses a lack of faith, then it is cause for alarm. Is it not? I think it also puts ourselves up high. And so, I think the sin of complaining, when we hear ourselves saying complaining words, we can view those words as highlighters for sins in our heart. You know, when you are preparing for an exam or something, you pull out the highlighter with your textbook and you're sitting there studious and um, hardworking and you, you've got your highlighter and there's some key words and as you're reading, you strike through the key words with your yellow highlighter and those words pop out on the page and later you go back when you're, when you're studying even more to um, look, to flip through it and there's some words that just jump out at you because you've highlighted them. What complaining can do for you, if you leverage it for good, is serve as a highlighter for sin that's happening in your heart. Because what's driving the complaining words is probably some sort of lack of faith in the Lord or some sort of elevation of yourself, combination of those two things. And it is highly offensive to God. And so when you see that in your heart, take note so that you can deal with it. I do think there are ways to complain appropriately. This is maybe a can of worms that you can get into in your small groups. I don't know. But um, there's a way to complain. And the Bible has a category for it. And it's called lament. It's appropriate complaint. I said you can murmur in a positive way, you can uh, dispute in a positive way. I think there's a way to complain that is appropriate, and the Bible uses the word lament. Now, the key to biblical lament, because you can open up some Psalms and you can read them. Maybe Psalm 13 is a good place to look. David expresses lament. How long, O oh Lord, am I going to wait for you? How long will you hide your face from me? The end of that psalm communicates his heart and his mindset through the complaint because he ends it by saying, I trust you. 
I will trust you and I will hope in you. And so his words of complaint are calibrated by this trust, this underlying trust in the Lord. However, I think oftentimes when we find ourselves complaining, it's not lament, it's just straight up complaint. It's complaint without any ounce of trust in it, right? That's why I want for us to think about it a little bit. It highlights a lack of trust in your heart. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lord. Maybe there is no trust for God in your life. And the complaints that you say prove it. Let the complaints that come out serve as highlighters for the sin in your heart and deal with it there. Look back at Philippians chapter 2. Remember, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That was just kind of some explanation on what those words are and what it means to complain. Now, let's remember, he says, do everything without that stuff. This is sweeping, all-encompassing, massive. And as I sat in my office this week and driving in my car and and just pondering the all-encompassing nature of this command... I got overwhelmed just at thinking of all the different categories of life in which we are tempted to complain. Think about it. There are annoying circumstances that breed complaining, right? Finding a parking spot here at True North. All the spots are full and I can't even, I'm trying to go to church and hear sermons and I can't find a spot, you know? I mean, there's just annoying stuff. Like there's a stoplight at Han over like by Five Freeway and Alicia. It's like, why is this light red all the time? Like, is there, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot happening around in this area, yet I wait at that stoplight more than other stoplights between here and the church. And so Han, it's like my, the, the testing ground for complaining for me. Ah, Han, got me again, you know? And like, <laughs> there's just annoying things that happen and you can complain in those. But that's not the only context for complaining, right? There's um, angering things. It's things that upset you. You get something stolen from you. Someone acts ruthlessly toward you. There's a context where you're really tempted to complain and express a distrust in the Lord. There's painful contexts. Man, you just got this back pain or you got this headache or you broke a bone or you've got a sore whatever. And it's just, it's chronic or it's just there all day. And um, there's painful things that are tempting. There's saddening things. Just when, when something genuinely sad happens. In addition to being sad, you can find yourself complaining and expressing a lack of trust in the Lord. There's tedious or repetitious things. Math homework, again and again and again, or chores over and over again, and you, and you find yourself in this mundane, boring um, context. That's maybe another one, boring. You're listening, listening, and listening, and, and the preacher or the teacher just won't stop talking, and you're tempted in your mind to complain because you don't even have to speak a word to complain, right? There's challenging contexts where it's just hard. Stretching pushes you 
to go further than you would otherwise go or do things you wouldn't otherwise do, and you can complain during those times of just challenging circumstances. There's humiliating things that happen. There's uncomfortable things that happen. I talk about flying, right? We can complain, the irony of complaining about a seat being uncomfortable as we soar 30,000 feet above the Oregon Trail. Think about that. (laughs) Yeah, you're soaring at 30,000 feet in a cushiony chair with an armrest over the Oregon Trail where our ancestors struggled for six months and died to try to get to where we're going in like four hours, okay? But it's uncomfortable and we forget other people or other things that have happened in the past and we express complaint. It's expensive. Man, flying 30,000 feet over the Oregon Trail really cost me a lot of money. $300, you know. People would spend six months and die on this road, but here I am complaining that it was too expensive. Or, of course, if it wasn't too expensive, then maybe it's too cheap. Man, this flight is is such a cheap airplane. The cushions aren't soft enough. And, and like, we we can complain if things are too expensive or if things are too cheap. And that's a list that, I don't know, that's 10 things or whatever I just said. There's, like, a lot of different, there's a lot of more context if we were to sit and think about what they were, right? It is all around you. And it's a tall order to not to do all things without grumbling or disputing. I work through that list and look at all those different contexts. And I think that Satan, our enemy who wants us to fail and to complain, has a deep bag of tricks. If he wants you to complain, I just listed off 10 different contexts. Let me just throw some annoying stuff at him. Oh, I, I've drained the annoying options. Let me try to do some boring stuff. Now let me throw some pain. Now let me throw some expensive stuff. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can get attacked with this. And so to do all things without grumbling or disputing is a pretty significant thing. Which is why if you do it, and you act like Christ in this way, you will stand out like lights in a dark world. That's what the rest of the passage says. It says, if you, if you go about life like this, then you will be, verse 15, blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Will you shine as a light in the world by your lack of complaining? And I think the opposite of complaining in terms of words is trust, right? If you, or uh, uh, thankfulness. I said trust in terms of our, our heart. But if you think about thankful words, those are the, oftentimes the opposite of complaining words. And it's not enough to just sprinkle in some thankful words into your vocabulary. The way to do what Scripture calls us to do here is to remove complaining altogether and replace with thankful words. You can't just kind of mix in some extra good stuff. You'll stick out big time if you live this way. My wife, I think, does a really good job with this. And um, I've seen her in various contexts 
not complain, and in fact, express thankfulness. And there's a lot of different ways I probably observe this, but I can remember one time she was out with some of the neighbor ladies and, um, you know, just chatting out in the front yard with some neighbor ladies. And you'll find that those sorts of scenarios, so I'm told, I'm not a woman who chats with other neighbor ladies, in those sorts of scenarios, it's really easy for that conversation to, to turn into a complaining fest about husbands. And that's what happened on this one occasion that I observed from a distance. And um, the, the neighbor ladies were standing there talking, and, and they know I'm a pastor, and she's a pastor's wife, and we're Christians, they know this. But um, the conversation shifted to complain about husbands, which is easy to ha- happen, and there was probably all sorts of options of things that Bethany could have said to participate in the conversation. I give her lots of things that she could have said, but she refrained, and in fact, she went on to compliment me or say positive things about me. You talk about like being a light in the world and being radically countercultural in that sort of scenario to refuse to participate in the complaining, and instead, that's right, right there, but instead to inject positive and complimentary language, that is like totally radical. If you live this way, you will be on display and you'll put the gospel on display because this is a radical thing. You'll be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish, standing out in a crooked and twisted generation. Now, We can't stop here because the rest of the passage goes on and gives us the key, I think, for how to do this. So look at it with me. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hold fast to the word of life. That's the key to combating complaining or, or to how, how to go about doing all things without grumbling or disputing. That word hold fast, it's used elsewhere, a couple different places in the Bible. One place it says this, keep a close watch, hold fast on yourself and on the teaching. So grip tightly to yourself and your teaching. Keep a close watch on it, hold fast to it. Acts 3.5 says, and he fixed his attention on them. To receive something for them. Same word. Hold firmly, fix attention, watch carefully, and in this case, the Bible. Point number two concentrate on the Bible. Took me a long time to come up with that word concentrate. Probably because I have a window in my office and I'm easily distracted. So the irony of trying to come up with a word. For focus, long-term, sustained focus. I finally came up with this word concentration. I can remember looking around in the room here, see some some familiar faces. I knew you when you were freshmen. Look at you and your concentration abilities. Jonah Francisco, I see you in the back. I see you. And you think about what, the, the, the progress you've made from being a freshman until now in terms of your concentration abilities. So thinking about something, staying focused on something for a long period of time. I think it's going to be a rare and precious commodity for your generation when you enter the workforce. 
if you develop the skill, the discipline of sustained concentration, you're going to have something that few people around you are going to have. And it just so happens to be a good uh, virtue and uh, discipline that will help us in our godliness. And so we ought to develop the art of concentrating and the skill of concentrating on the Bible. And there's a couple different ways for you to do that. One is just to have it with you all the time. If you're going to concentrate on it, then you should have it with you. Now, I've got a hard copy with me right here in my hand. Uh, you can have a Bible with you on your phone, in your pocket. But regardless, if you have the Bible with you, then I think you're, you're probably less likely to vomit out complaints. I wouldn't put it past you to complain holding a Bible right here. I wouldn't put it past any of us. We can complain while we're holding a Bible, can't we? But I do think the, having it with us, having it in our possession, holding it in your hand, being someone who carries it with you in your life is going to help. So holding fast, very, liter very literally, to the Bible. Uh, Psalm 119, it says, I've stored up your word in my heart. I have it in my hand, and in this case, I've got it in my heart, in my mind, in my brain, that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, you can do those things without actually implementing what the Bible says, right? You can read the Bible, memorize the Bible, and have it not impact the way you live or think or speak. And so there's another aspect to holding fast, and that is doing what it says. Psalm 119, 101, it says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Be a man or a woman who lives out what you read. Let it impact the way you think and act and especially speak for our purposes here. Really listen to it. There's a difference between reading your Bible for, for DBR five minutes a day and being a person who really listens, listens carefully to what the Bible says. Cherish it. Psalm 119.97, it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And remind yourself of the, the contents of God's word. Pause and remember who God is and who you are. And if you do that exercise right there, you let scripture remind you that God's holy and you're not, and you're still alive, then that really should calibrate a lot of the complaints that you're tempted to utter. You don't deserve to be breathing, let alone blessed in Orange County. This crushes our complaints, our, our justifications for complaints, demolishes it. And so you need the Bible to help you combat the sin of complaining. Hold fast to God's word in order to fight grumbling. And having dropped that on us, Paul says at the end here, he gives us a personal example. He says in verse 17, look at it. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should all be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul does here is he tells us not to complain, hold fast to the Bible, and... He, he, he tops it off 
with a personal example about how he's doing all of that. You catch it here? He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. He says, look, I am very actively and and presently speaking here, pouring out my life for you. It's like a cup full of water and all the life that I've got left in me, we're just pouring it out. Everything I've got left, we're just dumping it out. At the end of the day, I'm a puddle on the floor. I'm totally spent. I'm done. I'm toast. Life's over. So he, he's pouring himself out for other people. Point number three, gladly serve others. Gladly serve others. He's in prison while he's writing this letter. He's locked up. And later he's going to go on to say that he's learned how to remain content in this circumstance. And even as he's there, He's saying, I'm pouring out my life for you gladly. I rejoice. I rejoice and be glad. Rather than complaining about being locked up or about spending your life for other people, instead, rejoice and be glad. Do you see how it's the opposite to complaining? Paul could have been sitting there listing off all the reasons he's upset for being in prison and wasting his time on others. Instead, he's rejoicing in it. So, serve others. If you want to not complain, get the focus off of yourself and and begin caring for other people with everything you've got and do it gladly. Think about that. Serve others with gladness in your heart, not reluctance, Not with a grudge. Oh man, I got to serve people again. Here we go. Better serve people. Got to do it. Does God want your unhappy service? Does he want your begrudging, reluctant service? I think it's good to push ourselves, even when we don't feel like it, to live like Christians. But at the end of the day, We can't just go through the motions. We've got to be people who serve others with heart and gladness that Paul talks about here. And he doesn't just model it for us. I think he he explains kind of how he's doing that. And then look at the very end, um, verse 18. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so he ends this little paragraph with an exhortation. There's an imperative. There's a verb that calls us to action right there. And there's, there's two verbs in this whole thing, um, two imperative verbs. One is in verse 14, do all things without grumbling. And then the next one is here at the end. Be glad and rejoice with me. So be someone who uh, gladly serves others if you want to combat complaining. So stop complaining. Fight it with God's word and with glad service. I've got four kids. I think the last time you hung out with me, I had three. Um, but we got four kids, and so there's, they're at various ages and stages of complaining. And they all express it in their own unique ways. And uh, one of our kids is going through a season of life where this particular person 
has kind of some routine things that need to happen, like really crazy and outrageous things like brushing your hair or brushing your teeth or eating vegetables, you know, the classics. And (laughs) there's been experiences where it's like, what? I have to brush my teeth? And then it's like tears of drama. Like shock. I have to eat vegetables? And then tears and drama. And the same thing happens the next day. Kid you not. It's like, wait, didn't we have this exact conversation yesterday? I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you cried when I said brush your hair yesterday. Now here we are again today crying about it. How many days in a row are we going to go with crying about brushing our hair? How many times are we going to have the conversation where I say you've got to eat your vegetables and you cry? Just let, let's, just, let's just get to the bottom line here. Tell me how many more days you know, we get, we're going to do this. And so I've had some conversations with uh, one of my kids where it's like, there are going to be things that you experience every day on repeat over and over again. And some of those things right now, you're complaining every time. It would be good for you if you learned those repeat things not to complain in those times, but instead to express thankfulness and to fight it. And otherwise, it's just going to be like a lot of years of us having the same exact conversation over and over again. You might as well get used to it now. Just learn to brush your hair without complaining. Just learn to eat vegetables without complaining. It's not rocket science. But we find ourselves doing the exact same thing with maybe more sophisticated, more civilized, more grown-up things than eating, I was going to say eating hair and brushing vegetables, but that doesn't work. Maybe that's appropriate lament. Um, uh, We find ourselves doing the same exact thing. So if there are instances where you're on repeat, complain every day, maybe it's the same class that you experience. And so far, we're like three quarters of the way through the school year and you've complained about it every time. Or like homework. What? We have homework? Guess what? <laughs> You're going to have more homework, you know? So, so learn how to have homework and not cry about it. So, if you do that, you will put on display the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will stand out in a world where people complain all the time with no thought or attention. So let's learn to be complaint-free people and so shine for the world to see. Let's pray.